Welcome to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible cultures. On this special episode of Scaling Culture, we are presenting an interview from our most recent eSummit featuring Francis Frey. Francis is a professor of technology and operations at Harvard Business School. In 2017, Francis was tapped to be Uber's first senior vice president of leadership and strategy. Francis is the best-selling author of Uncommon Service and co-author of Unleashed. If you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast series, please rate, share, and subscribe wherever you're listening today. And for more information on how you can follow everything Scaling Culture, please see the show description. Francis, thanks so much uh, for joining us today. Uh, it's it, I'm so uh, I feel so lucky myself uh, to have you here, and I'm sure everyone else does too. And I want to start with a, a quick story because I don't, you probably don't remember me. I do not. Perfect. Do you, do you remember being in Halifax, Nova Scotia? I do. All right. All right. So we're getting closer. So you came down uh, for the YPO and EO chapters here. Now that might've been eight years ago. I don't know the exact yeah. time. And you delivered uh, a workshop that literally blew me away. I usually sit in the back of the class and I'm just a complete jackass. For you, I was in front. I think I moved from the back to the front. I was like, whoa, this is good. Every every time you spoke, every sense, I just moved closer. <laughs> and, and so I got to the front. And at one point, you said to me, hey, a fancy watch there. And I, and I, I looked at my wrist <laughs> and I had a fake watch from China. I said, well, not really. I hate to say this, but this, is, this was $8 in Beijing. So we had a good laugh. After that, France, I called you. at. I read uh, Uncommon Service. And I was heading down the path to execute. And I literally uh, called you um, because I had, um, I had read it and really wanted to, um, to talk through that with you. And so I think I startled you at, at Harvard. And, and the, the, the key thing, and you were super helpful, by the way. And the key thing for me was our process of what was really important to our customer. And for us, it was customer service. Or sorry for the for the uh, for the clients. It was customer service, and so that blew me away. I was like, "Wow, it's not pricing; it's customer service. We need to be the best at customer service." And so from there, uh, we started to screen our employees for empathy, and that changed everything. And we started competing yeah. with Starbucks because we said, "Look, there's no security company that's got this right. It's Starbucks uh, that is." you know, in the same type of business, front-facing customer service, that we need to we need to focus and beat them. And so, look, I just want to thank you because that changed my entire company path. It changed everything we did, and it absolutely had an incredible result. So thank you once again, uh, Francis, and welcome. You can't, you can't see me, but I am, uh, like, that just is why I uh, talk about my research and why I, uh, and why I write books. So I'm just, like, Oh, and there I am. Uh, and it's just, so thank you for sharing that. And that's, um, that's when a good job has been done. So I'm super pleased, super mm. pleased. Absolutely. Um, so we owe you, I owe you, my family owes you. I don't know. I owe you. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Just make it contagious to others. Uh, absolutely. I've been doing that. Yeah. I actually, and I know we were back and forth on LinkedIn where I sent you uh, the, the yeah. title of my book. I certainly speak about it in my book and tell that story in outrageous empowerment. Yeah. Um, awesome. So look, Let's talk uh, your latest book, Unleashed. 
I love this trust triangle. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the trust sure. triangle and the wobble? Uh, I love it. Yeah. So um, when we think about like, what could we do to make the world better tomorrow than it is today? That's completely actionable within every one of us. And I think if every one of us built more trust tomorrow than we did today, we could lift up humanity in a great way. We could do it individually in our homes. We could do it in our communities and our organizations. The problem is that trust is like was always seen as this monolithic thing. And you think like, how do I build more trust tomorrow? I don't know. Like I'd rather take a nap than try to figure that out. I just don't know how to do it. The, the great aha came when we found out that trust actually has three component parts. The good news about that is each of the component parts is completely actionable. So trust monolithic, too scary. The component parts, totally actionable. The actions for each component part is very different. So the trick is to figure out which component part is getting in your way at any given time. Mm -hmm. So the way to think about it is that I am more likely to be trusted if people believe I'm being my authentic self. Yeah. If they believe it's the real me speaking. If I say something that I don't really believe, you can tell in a second. And then you will not trust me. Right, right. People tend to trust me if there's if they like believe in the rigor of my logic. If right if I if I have rigorous logic, I'm authentic, I have rigorous logic, people are more likely to trust me. But there's a third missing ingredient which is you need authenticity, you need logic, but you also need to reveal empathy. And I think a lot of your work when you talk about empowerment also gets at empathy in a beautiful way. And I love your journey to being an outrageously empathetic leader in, in, in addition to empowering others. And the empathy part is, do am I making it clear that it's really, I'm in it for you. Mm -hmm. I'm in it for all of us mm -hmm. versus I'm in it for me. Here's the thing. If I'm not trusted, if I have a skeptic, if they're not trusting me in a certain situation, it's because of authenticity, logic, or empathy. I need look no further. So the triangle we do is authenticity, logic, and empathy. Mm -hmm. And we trusted. And ask yourself, what did the skeptic, where did they fall short? Guaranteed it's on one of these three things. How, how do you know? I like, you know, I, I'm going to make that assumption. How do I know? I, I'm, I'm yeah, thinking so as you're talking. Yeah, no, it's great. And so what we find is that when people do this self-diagnostic, yeah. eight out of 10 people are accurate. Mm -hmm. That's like, we've done it now with over 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. Eight out of 10 people are accurate. But to your point, Ron, how do you know if you're one of the eight or one of the two? Right. Go and share it with someone who knows you and loves you. Okay. They will correct you in a second. So tell the so story. In, tell, this is what Tell happened. the story. Okay. And honestly, so what you just revealed about your uh, family situation, show it to your wife. Right. She'll tell you if you're one of the eight or one of the two. And and is it offside to, to to be that vulnerable with someone on the other side? Like, hey, you know, Francis, we had a conversation. It, it seems like there's a lack. Well, so of that's a beautiful idea. So um, like when you find out you have an empathy wobble and then you like there are techniques that we talk about how to overcome it. A beautiful way is to if you have the courage to be vulnerable yeah. is to go and talk to the skeptic directly. That's like, you'll be authentic, you'll have logic, you'll have empathy. That's like super high varsity, awesome idea. Okay, great. I owe someone that conversation, so I'm going to do that. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And so last question on this piece. Yeah. You know, we make tons of mistakes. I've made, I make them all the time. Yeah. You know, I was on, um, I was listening to, to a webinar the other day and someone said, look, 
if you break trust, the apology doesn't work. You have to make a new commitment and deliver on the commitment. What's you, if you break one of these wobbles, or I guess it's not broken, but if you break trust, how do you get it back? Yeah, I, listen, we are all building and rebuilding trust. Fortunately, it's the same formula. If I you know, was unempathetic and, and my wobble tends to be empathy. Mm-hmm. And we also talk about what's your anchor, like which one of these three is like super reliable. Logic is my anchor. Empathy is my wobble. If there are times when I am unempathetic and it's usually when I didn't get enough sleep and I was too self-distracted. Right. Wow. And what I do is now I didn't mean to be unempathetic. The way I have learned to think about it is I hit something with my tail. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I turned and I whacked somebody. It's almost always an empathetic whack. And I feel like it haunts me. It will haunt me yeah. until I make amends. Right. If I hit somebody with my tail publicly, mm-hmm. I try to make amends publicly. Ah, interesting. You go back if to I hit, same, right? Yeah, if I did it privately, I try to make amends ah, privately. I love that because that also makes it really clear. You go back to the same format that you whack them with your tail, right? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to move on. I read your your article in Harvard Business Review, which I loved. I just... I'm. So proud of the work you're doing too. And when I read about Uber, which I didn't know, I was like, oh my God, she's crushing it. I just love it. <laughs> and so there was a few things that that jumped out at me. One, when uh, it talked about Uber being a hot mess. I love yeah, that it hot. actually labeled Uber a hot mess. I thought that was very yeah. real. It was a hot mess, right? It was. I mean, it's hard to rem- remember, but it really was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so... Can you tell me, it talked about getting input about the values, about the culture from 15,000 stakeholders. How do you do that? Oh, it's like, it's the best way to do it. So when you go to a startup, chances are its culture was handed on down high in the form of tablets from the founders and the founders in a small team. Because you started a company and this is the culture you want. Right. And so you say, this is our culture. Mm -hmm. And it will work until the company is at a certain size And then what you'll notice when it stops working is that some of your values start to get weaponized. And by weaponized, I mean that like I was working with one company and they had a default to trust was a value. And that meant give people the benefit of the doubt. And it was lovely when people were small, but as it was getting bigger, if you were senior to me and I asked you a question, you could curtly say to me, default to trust. Meaning? That's like not its initial. You were saying you were telling me stop probing, oh, just trust wow. me. Oh wow! Oh wow! So as soon as someone is taking the original words and using them for an alternative reason, right? You got to let them go. Interesting. You think, oh, I want to scramble and get the words back. They're being my values are being misused. Ah. Nope, the times have changed. Maybe there was a song in pop culture or something. <laughs> so you have to recommit to the values. That's a beautiful thing. Values should not have liquid cement poured on them. Right. And so what happens is then when you're going to redo the values, please don't do it from tablets sent on high. Mm. Now do it from everyone. So my favorite way to do it is to invite people, everyone. And we did a lot of it physically, um, but you can also, but we were co-located. And sorry, really quickly before you stay on that point, but is there a baseline before they start from the founder or not? It's just wide open now. It's blank slate or is there a baseline? No. So here's what you do. Start with the current values. Okay. Give people a pen okay. and say for the first five minutes, edit the values. Mm. It just gets people in the frame of mind that they're going to be editing the values. Okay. And then ask people, okay, 
which part of the values just are at either extreme. You just would be so sad to lose, or they have become so weaponized or defunct that they're holding us back. So then you ask people, only speak at the extremes. Got it. And then we got input from everyone on those. And then we started iterating the values and told people, you can come and join us on drafts if you want. Otherwise, we will come to you. And we did that exercise wow. with the senior most team, the junior. We opened it up internationally over Zoom. So one company we were at, we 3,000 people, 1,500 people participated over like a three-week period. Wow. Other companies at, at Uber, when, because it was a much larger company, far more people participated. But everyone knew it was now of them. And how did you I expect that exercise would have to be done again in five years? I, right. Yeah, absolutely. And so how do you take all that and simplify? Because I'm, uh, I'm getting dizzy. I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, how do, how do you do that? Oh, it's, you know, uh, you, you, you start to hear themes. It's like, you know, when you can see all of the data coming yeah. in and I don't recommend doing very much with like you could use. AI, I believe I don't like it, but that's because I'm old. So yeah. Yep. But I can, like, you'll start hearing themes because in the reading, when you're asking people, you're like, so what do you mean by that? Is it this or is it that? Mm -hmm. So what I did is train a lot of people how to do it. So I did the first meetings and I trained others. And then all of us that were doing the meetings would get together and say, here's what we've heard. Now, we did do it with one company with a lot of AI and it didn't, the results weren't any better. I'm not saying that AI, it just wasn't needed. You can hear the themes are... You know, default to trust. It wasn't right. like an idiosyncratic hit under. It was like a really big, straightforward problem. And there's only ten values, right? So, and was that was that a lot, by the way? Because you know, we see companies that have, uh, you know, a lot, a little. I used to have five. I tried to pare it down to three, trying to scale. What are your thoughts? I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too precious about it. At right. any point in time, I think your company is going to need different things. Mm-hmm. So, I've seen some companies that have more values, but the values are essentially also the employee handbook. Right, right. Got it. And then other companies that for a point in time, they're like, oh my gosh, we have had a complicated journey. Just everybody keep these three things in mind. Don't think about anything else. I don't have any judgment as to which is right or not. Okay. Uh, And in the article, it also talked about this question of do the right thing. And that, that reminded me of it it almost like the, I don't know if you heard me talk about those three question frame. I did. I did. I loved it. It's almost taking those into one. Uh, Talk me through that. How was that created and how did it work? Yeah. And I think that, so and again, everything is contextually, like you gave the context of where your questions came from, because yes. there was a journey to it. Yes. That's behind everything. So if you imagine an organization that's going to have do the right thing as a value, what do you suspect was true before that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And here's, and I can tell you at Uber, what the, what the reason is, it wasn't that Uber was filled with bad people, mm-hmm. but you have to remember that Uber came in when taxis were entrenched like entrenched lobbyists. They were like, totally. And so for Uber and nobody liked that, like Uber was a service that was better for customers in every way, more convenient, cheaper, higher quality, but the market wasn't permitted to, to work because there were protectionist policies for taxis. Mm -hmm. So Uber had to, um, uh, work with regulators and work ahead of regulators or else it still wouldn't exist today. Right. right. So this is now super challenging. When do you say those rules are old and we have to get past them? And when do you say those are the rules we have to follow? And that is really, really hard, particularly Mm. in a hyper growth organization. Absolutely. Now, When do the right thing came in, Uber had become a relatively mature company. 
it was already in all of these cities. It was already in all of these and countries. Francis, and so then that came yeah. after the hot mess, by the way, or was that in, in? Yes. Okay. It came after the hot okay, mess. Okay, great. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No. So I think that's the, so that's, that's where it came from is that we're now going to, we're now telling you if there is ambiguity today, and that came in, um, like the fall of 2018. Um, but if there's ambiguity today, we're going on the legal letter of the law. Right. If we did that in the beginning of Uber, Uber wouldn't exist. Right. Because all of the laws were written to protect taxis. Mm-hmm. And last question on values. As you remember them when, 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 um, when you were there, how close were they to Travis's initial values? Did they, you know, like that transition? Oh, this is always the case. So every single time I've done this, you keep well over 50% of the values. Wow. Okay. Every single time I've done it. And we're open. We're saying nothing sacred. We can have it. You, we could change all of them. Right. Every single time we've done it, we've kept more than 50%. Wow. Um, and these are at places that are, you know, challenged. So you can imagine the others. And for yeah. clarification, same values in North America, China, uh, Mexico, same values. Because I think a lot you of people You have to say, have the right level of abstraction. So do the right thing in other parts of the country. Might not be vis-a-vis regulators. It might be vis-a-vis bribes. Right, right, right. So, so you have to have it at the right level of um, abstraction, but it will manifest a little different in Got the it. local cultures. But the core values themselves were set. There wasn't different values in China as North America. And it's a super dangerous if there are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Love that. Yeah. Um, last question here, and then maybe we can open up for a few. Yeah, um, I love that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I just talk about this classroom, in, in how you guys engage everybody in the classroom setting. That, I, that, that just blew me away. At Uber, yeah, when we did that. Yeah. yeah. So here's the thing. We, um, I got there, 15,000 people distributed. And one of the things we realized is that one of the biggest strategic problems we had um, was that everyone grew up in an environment where costs were higher than revenue. That's really hard. Like It's like, oh, strategic physics doesn't apply, right? So we had to teach everyone strategy when physics applies. Okay. We also, there was a lot of org debt in the company because people were getting promoted at a really fast rate. We had to teach them leadership. It's not their fault. When you say physics apply, i.e. look, this is how a startup works. We just raise a bunch of money. We're not going to be profitable. We should we should consider ideas where revenues are greater than costs. Okay, great, great. Yeah. And we shouldn't consider, this is what the customer wants. Let's do it. It's can we afford to do it? Right. right. Physics, like just basic fundamentals. So when we got there, the entire organization needed an upgrading of skills, and they were um, they, they were still to this day, the employees at Uber were the best learners I've ever encountered. Wow. They so greedily wanted to learn, really like exceptional learners. So what we did is partnered with HBS, which has this amazing studio called HBX Online, mm-hmm. and they had only used it for teaching 60 people at a time. And it's like the classroom, but it's like Zoom but really big Zoom. On steroids. We couldn't solve our problem 60 at a time. So I called the folks at HBS because I was very close to them. And I was like, look, we want to teach 2,500 people at a time. They were like, you can't do it. And I was like, how about this? I don't think you like, no, I don't think you would have liked that. Yeah, no, I don't. And when people say no, it doesn't, I hear not now, but like for a very short, not now. So um, I was like, look, I get why you don't, 
to make it possible because you're a perfectionist and you do 60 beautifully and everything you've done, you've done beautifully. It's like, mm-hmm. But I know the capacity of the tech team at HBS and it's magnificent. Mm-hmm. So what if I take the burden of all, of all technological fails? Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't work, it's on me. It's not on you. So I want to create a safe environment for you to innovate. It's just what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. So I wanted to create this safe environment for them. And we set the conditions and Uber signed off. Anything that goes wrong, it will be us. And so we really innovated like crazy and we got it up to 2,500 people wow. at a time. We, they would all write reflections. They all, from 1 to 2,500, understood it at the same way. It's really, and then that opened my eyes to education. That's how we should educate right. the world. That, that sounds like an artwork, by the way. It's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. And it's to the testimony of the tech folks at wow. HBS who are unbelievable. That's great. Uh, Francis, look, thanks. I'm going yeah. to wrap things on that. We're two o'clock. Let's do a few. Do you have a few minutes for questions? I'm, I'm all yours. Okay, yeah. great. Shannon, I'll let you uh, bring out questions. I know you're kind of monitoring things. Let me throw things out. I'm going to let Francis take the lead. And if I've got anything to say, uh, that's not too stupid. Uh, there am I open. <laughs> Great stuff, Francis. And thank you so much for sharing all of that. I guess the first question on everyone's mind is when are we getting the quiz? <laughs> I'd be delighted to send everybody. I love quizzes. I do those with my children every night. <laughs> I will try my best to be ready for that. Our first question is from a coach. As a coach, one of my clients was continuously burned by allowing their teams to handle yeah. all the decision-making and is now feeling a little gun-shy. Is he lacking trust? Yeah, I, I'm not sure it's trust that's being lacked there. When you give someone, when you ask someone to do something, you it's our job to set the appropriate constraints. We should not empower people beyond their capability. If we do, it's our fault, not theirs. So it sounds like this person empowered someone beyond their capability. Like, it, And so if someone can't do something, it's for only a couple of reasons. They don't have the capability, they don't have the motivation, or they don't have the license. And if you want to see more on that, man's name is Ryan Buell, and he's written beautifully about it. Okay. But if it's a capability problem, train them. Mm-hmm. If it's a motivation problem, no training is going to overcome it. And if people are just too afraid to act, like I know what to do. I, I want to do it, but I'm too afraid. I just don't feel like I have license to do it. Also, no incentives and no training are going to change it. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is if you're getting burned in that way, get to the source of the problem and address the root. Uh, you know, I love that. And Shannon, I would, I would also go back to that decision-making process that, you know, that's the framework or is a, is an option for a framework, which at least guides yeah. someone um, yeah. through that process. Because as I mentioned way back in the beginning of this, it is scary. It's scary. Not just for us as leaders say, ah, damn, you made a mistake. It's also for the employee that says, what is this going to look like? What's going to happen if I pick the wrong choice? And I think yeah. that's scary for that side. Anything else, Shannon? Absolutely. Next question. Francis, you speak a lot about how authenticity, logic, and empathy are critical to establishing trust, but how can we identify where we're getting in our own way? Oh, golly. Yeah. So I, the exercise that I propose, and I, I have a TED Talk on it that it's a 15-minute TED Talk, but I encourage you to watch it at 2x speed because for some reason I spoke, spoke really slowly. So you can do that or you can read Begin With Trust. It's an HBR article that just came out. And I just got the first copy of our hey! book. It's like I just can't even believe beautiful. it. Beautiful. It's like so beautiful. Um, and it's chapter one there. But, but all of that to say, let me tell you, I've written about it on LinkedIn as well. Um, you have to find, use a real recent example 
where you didn't generate as much trust as you wanted. And then ask yourself, what got in the way? And if it's authenticity, did people doubt that it was a real you talking? Was it logic? It was like, you know, great idea. Uh, I mean, you know, it's you and you have empathy, but oh my gosh, I'm not letting you drive. Or holy cow, it's you, you're driving, but you're driving to your own drummer. <laughs> Diagnose which it is. And then we have absolutely specific prescriptions that can guarantee you'll get over it. Guarantee. And contact me on LinkedIn if you, for your specific contacts. I'd be delighted to diagnose it and tell you the solution. Francis, uh, it's interesting. So my other company is called Vita Living. We, we, our purpose is revolutionize I affordable love your communities. Um, I love it. And so our biggest bearer is trust. We, you know, we buy a building that was maybe managed, I hate to say it, by a slumlord. There is no trust. They don't call the landlord in, in New York in these places. They call the media to get something done. Here they'll call yeah. a building inspector. And I'm just thinking as you're talking, our challenge is that it's, it's you know, our wobble is actually... We don't even have, there is no face-to-face. There, there is no interaction. It's yeah. you know, usually, you know, you can't build trust by uh, uh, memo or sending to a website. You know, we're, we're, we're not even at ground zero of your wobble in that. that it, don't, be, don't be too clear that you can't draw. I mean, PillPack is one of the most trusted healthcare companies in the world. I don't think anyone has ever seen a PillPack employee. So how are they doing that? Yeah, because they're super authentic. But authentic Everyone understand. being like, how so are you- yeah, so that like PillPack, their mission is, yeah. and what they'll do is send you your medicines so yeah. that you don't have to go to stores and get it. They want to increase compliance. They have a noble mission, just like you have a noble mission. Yeah. You want to do it. And they just use that as a filter through the decisions. And they make sure that it's not, we're a noble mission in the afternoon, but we're greedy like <laughs> right. people in the morning. Like they're consistent. And the consistency of authenticity is really important. The logic has to make sense. Mm-hmm. But I feel super sure that your people, the people that used to run it, had no empathy for yeah, the. Yeah, yeah. So if you ask me where to start, it's empathy. Right. Oh my gosh, for sure yeah. they've been thumped on empathy. Mm-hmm. And nothing's going to matter until you reveal that you're in it for them. Right. Love that. Thanks, Francis. That, that's helpful sure. for us. Shan, let's do one last question and then we'll wrap. Great. For our last question, how can we build trust with customers who practice a command and control management style or who don't practice the same exercises that we do? And just let me make sure that the customers are in it for themselves or the company is in it for themselves. The customers are in it for themselves. Yeah, I believe the question refers to a B2B setting. Oh, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. So B2B settings. Listen, if you aren't needing, this is particularly true in these times where everybody is hit economically and just shattered, people aren't going to go very far down their core needs. So you have to be needing just an insatiable need of your client. And if you're needing an insatiable need of your client, you have a chance of creating a lot of value and capturing some of it. But if the lower the need is in your clients, the more that they're going to be completely in it for them. And they're actually going to try to get you to give them service for free. So what I would say, a lot of the pivots the companies are going to make is that this is what I used to do and it used to be enough. Then it's not going to be when we come out of this because we used to be meeting a lot of needs in a company and now we got to go here. So what I would say is make sure you're meeting an insatiable need of the customer, that the customer needs you and you're going to create far more value than you're going to capture, but you are going to capture some value. Beautifully said. Uh I'm going to wrap it up. Francis, I just want to say it's been great to see you again. Uh, yes, it is nice from Halifax. I remember I flew direct from Amsterdam and it stunned me. I could go from Amsterdam to Halifax. Wow. I, I don't know if they have yeah. that flight now. I think maybe there wasn't enough volume. They did then. Uh, yeah. And so 
pick up uh, France's new book. And, and by the way, if you haven't read Uncommon Service, read the book. I think it's a must read. It's got to be the top 10 business from my perspective. I don't even think you should go in yeah. business without reading that book or be in business. No right. That's very kind. <laughs> uh, so Francis, thank you once again. Thanks for everybody. And sure. I did want to mention, I just saw this. I didn't know Francis, but you and I are going to be on Vern's, uh, his reinvent summit May 7th. And awesome. Yeah, Mark, and now we already have a report. I speak Beautiful. right after you. I'm looking at this right now. I'm right after you. I'm your warm up act and it's my privilege. I can't wait. Don't steal my material. <laughs> I will promise I won't. I'll only set you up for success. That's going to be a lot of fun. So Vern's on Mark Cuban is on that. That's going to, they've got some, uh, some a really yeah. great lineup of speakers. I think there's 10 or 12 of us. So I'll see you then. Thanks so much. Awesome. Francis. I appreciate Total pleasure, that. everybody. See you on LinkedIn, everyone Absolutely. else. Thanks for everything you do for the community. Thanks, Francis. Okay. Ciao. We want to give a special thank you to Frances Frey, who gave us her time and those incredible insights. Stay connected with the Scaling Culture podcast. Please subscribe wherever you're listening today. And for more information on where you can participate in Scaling Culture, please see the show description. Thanks. We'll see you soon.